Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers are coming up with one right now. Um, there is a, a word, it's an F word, um, that is not used, I, whoa, easy, not used very often in the church anymore. And it's kind of, a, it's kind of disappointing. And some of you college students are like, sweet, wait a second. No, um, the, the word is, is, is forgive. In fact, I think it's a word that somehow all of us have assumed that we don't need. We, we've, we've abandoned this word in, 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 to its entirety on both ends. We struggle to say things like, will you forgive me? When's the last time you've actually uttered that? Not, I'm not talking about just, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about a, hey, I, I shouldn't have done that. When's the last time you said, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? I have sinned against you, will you please forgive me? You know, what's even funnier about that is that the opposite is true. We struggle to say it on the other end. Someone says, it's, oh, it's, it's okay, it's okay. No, no, forget it, forget it. I, I moved on, I didn't think about it. No, say these words, I forgive you. In fact, let's just practice it, okay? Everyone say this with me. I forgive you. What did I do? No, just kidding, sorry. Um, these are words that we absolutely struggle with in so many ways. And I think, honestly, if we're not, we're not careful, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think that there's probably a good amount of every single one of us in here that is carrying some form of pain or bitterness because of that very word. We either feel like we are owed someone asking us of, for forgiveness, or we feel like we don't need to forgive someone. In fact, some of us, it goes all the way to God. We've never actually sat down and said, God, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. Please forgive me. In fact, some of us, we get in the habit of doing this, you know, where you, you make a mistake, and you've, you've done that mistake again, and you did that last week, and last week you asked God for forgiveness, but you're like, ah, oh, I did it again. I, I couldn't. I'm sorry. I won't do it again, God. It's almost like we feel like if we say, please forgive me again, he won't. But it's this word that is just, we're just wrestling with and we struggle with. And so the text today is, is going to talk specifically about that. In fact, I think this, I've always heard and read this text as like three different sections. And I think it actually all applies really, really well together. So we're going to pick up in verse 15. See, we've, we've used, before we get there, we've used um, scripture like uh, Matthew 7, 1, where it says we're not to judge others. And we've used that as an excuse to, to not judge anyone. And so we believe, whoa, whoa, if you've ever heard this, like, Wait, let me just do what I do and you do what you do and just let, let's mind our own business. Who's, who's heard that? Who said that? Don't put your hand up, right? You're like, oh, man, maybe he's going to take that wrong. Right? We've, we've, been, we've been crippled. We've been held back by this, this scripture of we're not called to judge others. That, that word judge in Matthew 7 is actually condemn. It has nothing to do with actually looking at the fruit of someone else, calling out sin in someone else. But we feel like if we ever go to someone and say, hey, that is sinful, that is, that is wrong, then that person has the right to just look at us as some judgmental jerk. And so we decide, instead of doing that, we decide to not say anything. Or maybe we're too afraid of, of a friend not being a friend anymore if we call them to truth. And see, we, this is just, it's, it's this epidemic in the church where we feel like we, we feel like we need to just mind our own business. A while ago, we talked about um, identity series, and we talked about how there are over 59 one another's in the New Testament. 59 commands for those of us that profess to follow Christ on to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to kiss one another, right? There's, there's all of these one another's, and we believe for some reason that we can just operate as this individual person that doesn't affect anyone else. And so we just keep our head down, and we just do what we're supposed to do, and that's just not how it works. In fact, 
the church has shied away from this in so many ways. And when I say the church, let me just say this very clearly. The church as an individual that is the image of God bearing the church as a whole because you're redeemed by the work of Christ. You as an individual in the church, you have shied away from these texts. I have shied away from these texts because it's hard and it's difficult and there's just not a lot of grace in how it's done. And honestly, it's very, very, very difficult to even operate within it. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this text. We're going to see how incredibly practical this is that Jesus tells us here. It's, it's ridiculously practical. And we're going to see how this plays out, not only in the practicality, but also in our hearts as individuals. So, so bear with me for a second. We're, gonna, we're just going to dive right in. Matthew, verse 15. If you remember last week, uh, Mike had just finished talking about the little children, how we need to have the humility to enter into the kingdom as children. Right? We're, we're childlike faith. This it was a story. We were supposed to, to flee sin, and we, were, we, aren't supposed to, we aren't supposed to allow ourselves to dabble in this sinfulness. And then Jesus comes right into this. So, so to assume that that wasn't kind of in the context of this, it would, be, it would be silly. And Jesus is talking about if your left foot causes you to sin, then cut it off, get rid of it. Like it's, it's better to be without a foot than to continue to sin. You need to approach the, the kingdom of God as, as a child in faith and humility. And then he comes in this section. says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to you then, or listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so Jesus gives us this formula for someone that has sinned against you. Now, how many, raise your hand, has someone sinned against you? Has, it, has that ever happened? Okay. If you're married, you're like, oh man, it's like every week. I'm just kidding. Um, if you got kids, it's, it's out of control, all right? So, so Jesus lays this out. He says, if someone has sinned against you. Now, I want to real quickly talk about another verse. Um, it's, it's Matthew uh, 5, 23 to 24. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. So here it is, if someone sinned against you. But in Matthew um, chapter 5, Jesus is saying the same thing. If you know that your brother has something against you. So you know what he did? He just put all of us on the hook for this on either side. Whether you've sinned against someone or someone sinned against you, it's on you to actually move forward. So if you're sitting there waiting for someone else to act, don't. It's on you. You profess the name of Christ. He says, you go and first do this. Now, this first step is the one that we royally stink at. In fact, I'll, I'll say it right this. Most of us have uttered things like, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll just forget it. I'll just let it go. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You see that person the next time in the grocery store? Oh, there he is. Don't look at him walking away. Your heart starts pounding when you see them. You know you're going to have to have a conversation with them. You didn't let it go. The first step is to go to him in private. Not, not hear me on this. Not go to someone else and talk about it. Not, not go to someone else and say, hey, will you pray for this because I'm really struggling with what this person did to me. The very first thing you do, whether you are offering a gift at the altar and you know someone has something against you or you have been sinned against by someone, the very first thing you do is you go to them personally, privately, and you share the fault. Now, I think this is interesting. Or this, is, this is worth noting. Some of you right now have, feel, have this feeling that you've been greatly sinned against by someone, and they have no idea that they did it. 
Okay? They have absolutely no idea. So, so there's, a, there's a posture in approaching someone. So if you walk up to someone and corner them in the, in the back and say, you sinned against me and this is why, it's not going to go well. But Jesus says that, that we should be willing to enter into this conversation. And the point of this conversation, you ready for this? The point is so your heart feels better. In fact, the, the point isn't even... The point isn't even so that your guys' relationship can be restored. It's so that this brother or sister can be reconciled to God. You see, the point is for us to win them back to God, to win them back to Him. It's not, it's not even for you. Now, yes, if you've ever been in a conflict, and some of you like conflict worse than anything, you like to shove things under that arbitrary rug, right? Like just pretend like it's not there. Keep tripping over it every day. But the, the beautiful thing is if you've actually experienced this or done this with someone, that relationship is amazingly better. In fact, I wrote it in my notes this way. Um, reconciliation often creates a closer bond than you had in the first place with someone. If you ever experienced that, if you've walked with someone, you've seen someone turn from someone, you said, hey, this is sin. This isn't right. You shouldn't be doing this. Here's, here's what God's word says. And you do it in grace and truth. It, that, that relationship is stronger. And we saw that with the apostle Peter and Paul, Right? Paul confronts Peter on, on what, he's, what he's doing. Why, why have you lost your way? And then later on, Peter talks about his beloved brother, Paul. Right? And so there's, this, there's this, this stepping that happens. So the first step is you go to them alone, in private, with the purpose to win them over. So here's, here's something I want you to hear. This isn't my job only. You don't, you don't write on a prayer request, so-and-so sinned against me, help me figure it out. This is, if you profess to follow Jesus, if this is a, a follower of Jesus that has sinned against you, it is your job to go to that person. You don't need to grab an army of people in place and get it to happen, even though we just talked about army, a different one, right? You, you just need to go to that person individually and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Help me understand that. We stink at this. In fact, my bet is if I ask you right now, who is one person right now that you are somewhat not, I'll, I'll word this, not okay with? You're just, you're just struggling a little bit. You're, you're not mad at them, right? You're not, you're not, not forgiving them. But they just, they just rub you the wrong way. And you've never said a loving word to them. You've never even communicated it to them. You just keep going, oh, I'll just, I'll just forget. I'll just move on. We have this belief similar to that we're not called to judge. No, we're not, not, we're not called to condemn. It's God's job to condemn. We are called to align the fruit of the Spirit with the Spirit of God. We also have this false belief, of, well, God just forgets. No, He doesn't forget. He chooses not to look on. God doesn't forget our sins. It's not like, oh, where'd they go? No, He sent Christ in place of our sins so that He can choose to look at Christ instead of our sin. He doesn't just forget and move on, and you don't either. To assume that you do is, is offensive to the gospel, really. So the first step is you go to this brother. Say, hey, this isn't what happens. College students, I'm going to pick on you for a second. You are in a tough, tough, tough environment. Right? There are so many things going around. You got roommates. You got, you got uh, professors. You got all these people kind of attacking the gospel. And, oh, that's not really true. This isn't it. Or, you know, it's okay to do this or do that. And you have someone sitting next to you or a roommate that, that you go to church with. And you're like, man, we love Jesus together. And then that person goes out and gets wasted drunk that night. I mean, just like, and they don't care at anything. And you know, I'm just using drunk because that's a very clear one in the scripture. People love to argue the gray ones, right? 
Really clear, right? You know what God's word says. You know what that means? If you are a follower of Jesus and that person's a follower of Jesus, it's your job to go to them. Hey, hey, God's word says this. I don't, I don't think you should do that. Do you need help? How can I help you in this? What, it's your job to communicate to them that that's not the way of God. You know why this is such a big deal is because the expectation of his bride is to be holy. We're, we're called to be holy as he is holy. So when unholiness happens in our life, something has to be done with it. As a follower of Jesus, it's your job. Husbands, wives, if your spouse is just living in gossip or slander or, or lust or gluttony, whatever it may be, you pick it. And they're just living it. You're just letting it go because, well, I don't want to offend the marriage. It won't go well. No, it's, it's your job. Okay, I think I've hammered that enough. Move on. Okay, so it's your job. Okay, first step. Go to the person private. You go to the person, they are not in any way repentant. They have not turned from it. They say, oh, I know, I, I shouldn't have done that, but whatever, it's cool. Like, I, I won't do it again. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I hate that I did what is opposite of God's word. Help me turn from this. Help me walk to the God that's created me to walk with him. Help me run towards him. Okay, so they, they don't. They, they disagree. It's like, nope. You, it's not sin, or I, they, maybe they're more hostile. I don't care what you say. I don't care how it's done. So then he says, bring two or three more in. Now, this is out of Deuteronomy. And we see that when the, Moses was talking about the laws and, and how to, to make things right, they said, well, two or three people can be witnesses to bring about truth. And, and this is two points for this person, these other two to three people. Their role, first off, is to, to validate whether or not this person is being truthful or is repentant. They're, they're a part of this process not just, not just that, but they're also to make sure that you aren't being condemning. Right? You bring, and this is, this is key. Think about this. Let's say you have a massive problem with alcohol. We'll just use that one. Okay? And you go to your friends, and you know that, that Bob and Joe over here, they hate alcohol. Like with, with, I mean, there's no way in shape. They're like, they are like the most vicious people ever towards alcohol. You go to those two people to confront this person with alcohol, right? Because like, hey, let's line my, let's line my side here. This is what I want. No, you, you bring people and their role isn't just to affirm yours. It's to make sure that both of you are actually following God's word. It's to make sure that you're not condemning, that you're coming in with the right, humble heart. So these two or three more coming in was, was done. It was started initially in the, in the evidence of like judicial system. He's saying in the, in the church as the, as the body of Christ, we can solve this together. So you bring a few other people, a few people that have a desire to see not just your agenda made, but to see your brother or sister one back to their faith. You see, this is the, the theme through the whole thing. It's never so that you can be right. If you're approaching someone to be right, you're, you're stop. Start over. Let someone come confront you on that. If they don't answer, then you bring them to the church. And the ch they don't they respond to the church. Church now in this situation is Ecclesia. This is, a, this is a gathering. It wasn't the synagogue. It could be a church of five people. It could be a church of 2,000 people. You bring it to the situation. And practically how that plays out in the, the church today can be very different in, in how it plays out. It could be just leadership. It could be um, just uh, the small group of whatever. But basically, you bring it to them, and they try to win them over. And then at the end, it says, hey, this person is a professing believer. They're f they say they believe in Jesus, but they will not repent of the sin. Then we are to put them out with the goal and the purpose being to win them back over. 
You know, what's interesting is the tax collector and Gentile that Jesus is talking about, like, well, Matthew's a tax collector and he's one of his followers. Like, Jesus came for tax collectors and Gentiles. So it's not to ostracize and say, well, good, they're never coming back. We hate them. We don't want them. It's no. You need to understand that there are, there are benefits and rights of this community and, and being holy as the church has called us to be holy. And look, the church as a whole today, we, we stink at this, okay? It's just so much easier to just, ah, just let it go, forget it, move on. God's word is very clear. We are called to do this with the right heart. And so the whole point of this is he's reeling through this. It says, look, you, you do this to win your brother or sister back. And if, they, if they're back, praise God, because what's happened is, is, is you've experienced and seen God's grace and the gospel live out in your brothers and sisters. You've actually lived out some of those 59 one another's with this person. And so that's the point of this text. And so Jesus is laying out this process and all of us are on the hook. And yes, church discipline is something that has to happen. It is biblical to happen. And the church has stunk at it in the past. But I believe God calls us to do that. But my belief, honestly, is that 95 or 97, or I don't even know what percent, a ridiculous amount of percentage of church discipline would not even be happening if the church as individuals would actually play the role that God called them to in their friends' lives. Do you ever think about that? Like you would actually genuinely love someone enough to approach them and say, hey, this is sin. This isn't right. And then the flip, if someone approached you, you actually had the humility to go, oh, that's painful. But thank you. Help, help me find the forgiveness that's needed. And then Jesus goes on in this section. Before I, before I, I guess before I move on that, I want to read a quote that Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, and it's, it's an amazing quote um, out of his book, Life Together. He, he wrote this way. He said, Sin demands to have a man, my bad, to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light in the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a, most, of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is hard to struggle until the sin is openly admitted, but God breaks gates of brass and bars of iron. Psalms 107:16. See, I say that, I read that because mainly my, my assumption is that all of us are struggling with some form of sin and someone may come to you and say, hey, hey, this is, this is what's going on and, and here's what's going to happen. I see this all the time as a pastor. You're going to run. You're going to have this desire to go, ooh, just get away. This is hard. I'm out. I just, I just need to run and that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you isolated. Running from the community of the people around you because then when you're there, he can just fiddle away at it. So if you know of sin in your friend's heart, if you know of sin in their life, and it's been brought, that, you know what God has done? His Spirit has brought that to light in you. And you now get to be the vessel of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Because if, if left unattended, what's going to happen is we're just going to keep falling away. It breaks my heart to see this because people have, they, they run from this stuff. And so my assumption is that maybe the issue is less of us being willing to confront others and us, more of us being humble like a child and approach to it. You ever notice that? Like my daughter's 
middle daughter's still young. It's like the older one's starting to get to the spot where she wants to hide it. But my, my youngest daughter, like, you can come to her and she's like, what'd you do? Well, I did this. It was wrong, obviously. Like, duh. You know, that's why you're mad at me or whatever. It's just this, this, this complete childlike, ah, this was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And as we get older and older, we start trying to figure out how to hide because we're more afraid of what people think of us and less concerned about the gospel and the way it plays in the kingdom of heaven in our lives today. Don't run from community. And then Jesus goes on. He says in, in verse 18, he says, truly I say to you. So he's coming in. And now scholars go all over the board and think that this is a totally different section. This is just, I think this is just run right through. And, and they use this. This is a text where I think a lot of, um, where we get the Roman Catholic belief that, that the church is the one that forgives your sins. And this is also the text where we think like, oh, we can ask God anything we want and he'll give it to us. Those are both completely out of context in this text right here. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, there am I among them. And so what he's basically saying is this, this bound and loosed on, on, on earth and in heaven is essentially saying sent forgiven or not forgiven on earth and heaven. And so what he's saying is that as the followers of Jesus, where two or three of us have come to someone in the church discipline setting, and we've said, we see the sin in you, and, and it's affirmed that the sin is true, and they're, and they're unrepentant of it, we can say to that person, look, I, I think that this is one of those situations where you're not, you're not walking in repentance or forgiveness. And what he's saying is that because those individuals are surrendered to the will of God, that that's the way that we see it. Similarly, as, as a follower of Jesus, you can look at someone that says, there is no God. I won't believe in this, and I don't believe in Jesus, and I have no desire of Jesus. You can say, look, I'm not, I'm not one to condemn, but, but the Bible's fairly clear that to be a follower of Jesus, you have to follow Jesus, right? Like it's kind of, It kind of works that way. And so what he's saying is, is that because that is the will of God's word, that is the truth of God's word, it is lining with it. It isn't the church trying to do something on earth and aligning God's will to that. It's the church or individuals of the church acting in line with God's will, and therefore what's done here is done there. And so he's just tying it together. It's not a separate. And then when you ask in your name, this is the point is we should be in prayer for these brothers and sisters that have fallen. If you've never prayed, if you know someone right now, you're like, oh, they're, they're totally in sin, and I know that, and you've never once prayed for them, come on. Come on, this is, this is, is a serious thing. Sin is a, a very serious thing. If you've dabbled with sin in your life, which I'm assuming you are, you can see just how dark it can get very quickly. And so you, you, you confess it, you pray for them. And so he's, he's tying these two together, saying that we're lining ourselves with God's will. This isn't something else. This is, this is God's will for us. And then he goes on. And this is the section that I wanted to spend a chunk of the time on. Then Peter came up to him and said to him, I, I love Peter. I love Peter for this, right? Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times? I think that's how Peter says that, right? And here's why. Because, <laughs> because the rabbis taught out of Amos, they believe that you, can only, you only forgave someone three times. You, gave him, you did it once, you can forgive them. Like, oh, you, you, you stole my car again, or you stole my carriage because they didn't have cars then, right? You stole my horse again, and I forgive you. And then stole my horse again, and I forgive you. And the third time you stole my horse, ha, I don't have to forgive you. And that's the way the rabbis taught, right? So here's Peter, and I love him for this, right? Here's Peter going... Okay, I'm starting to get this, this whole thing. Like, Jesus is different than the rabbis. I'm going to be super generous here with mine. Like, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Because you just talked about this thing, and we've done this whole thing with this guy over and over again. And he's, like, sitting there thinking about maybe Philip or John or James. Like, dude, the guy's crazy, and I keep having to, you know, come on. And so he's lining it out. He's like, how many times? Seven times? Look at that. I doubled it plus one. 
I'm so gracious. You know, I think that's where Peter's sitting. He's like, oh, man, I'm so, so gracious. Look at me. And then Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70, 70 times seven, or 77 times, depending upon where you're at. Now, if you're using that as an excuse to try and keep track on when to forgive, you've missed the whole point of this parable, right? He's about to go into. Jesus doesn't say a specific number because he thinks, oh, okay, well, on the 78th time, or the 410th time, depending upon which text you have, when that happens, you don't have to forgive him anymore. That's not what he's doing here. He's saying, no, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong, Peter. Again, I love you, but wrong again. I mean, I'm up to 500 on you, Peter. That's probably what Jesus is thinking right there, right? And there's more coming. I mean, spoiler alert, right? There it is. <laughs> but he, he, um, it's not the number. It's not about the number. And Jesus is making it very clear. And so then Jesus explains himself. Again, coming out of church discipline, coming out of the fact that you and I are called to, to call out in a loving and gracious way and in, in, in a humble way the sins of others. And as we, as we do this with others, we involve people, what we, what we can assess of some situation, God is going to say, look, it is true here. It's either forgiven or not forgiven on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying the same thing. Okay, and then he goes into this and says, so Peter goes, okay, this is kind of crazy here. How many times do I have to forgive James? The guy drives me crazy. That's kind of what he's doing. Just, I can't handle him. And, and Jesus says this 70 times seven. And so then he's going, well, wait a second. Well, there's that time in the fish market. Like, it, it's not that. Again, if you're married and you're, you're holding on to that, like, you maybe make it through the first six months. Maybe. And then you're like, sweet, I don't have to forgive that person anymore. That's not what he's saying. So then Jesus goes on to explain this. And this is, this is a really, really interesting parable. It's the only one. We only get this one in the book of Matthew. And I love it. I love this parable. Jesus goes on. He says, therefore, we'll just go ahead and make this a teaching moment. Okay? We just talked about forgiving someone. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who, wishes, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so kings normally wouldn't settle um, their accounts. They had people that would do it, but then there was like a once a time a year kind of like, okay, let's see how everything's doing. And so this is the idea that the king is, is bringing these people together. And there's this guy that owns them 10,000 talents. Now, I was doing some research on that. There's disagreement on how much a talent specifically is, but it's usually weight and it's weight of gold or silver or copper. And, and all of the Roman-occupied area around Judea and all those places, there was about 900 talents a year of taxes paid to Rome. So 10,000 talents is a whole lot. Of, I don't even know how this dude got that much debt, right? Like, it's like, how is that even possible? Like, I don't even think that much money is moving around, right? But he owes an astronomical amount. The point of this is that this is more money than anyone had ever seen. 10,000 was kind of the number that they, or the word they used for it's a, a ridiculous amount. Like, this is out of control. 900 talents, 11 years of taxes in the entire area is what that person owed this king. So it's a ridiculous amount where he could never pay it back. There wasn't enough money in, in, in and around to actually make that happen unless he just started somehow able to steal absolutely everything that was out there. And so he was old everything. So he says, 10,000. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. So it changed from king to master. Doing a great picture here of, of Lord and God here, okay? See this? His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had in payment to be made. Now, all that they had in his wife and his children, none of that would have actually paid back this 10,000 talents. That wouldn't even come close to paying it back. But saying, hey, something has to be done. So there you go. And so he's offering to sell this person. This is, by, way, by the way, a parable, so this didn't actually happen, just in case you guys were wondering, okay? So the servant fell on his 
fell on his, on, his, on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. No, you won't. It's ridiculous. Sorry. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's like less than a day's wage. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you which he actually could, okay? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, which is, to me is a, a pretty bad way to get paid back, right? Put him in prison to pay a debt. They don't make money there. It doesn't work out really well. You're not thinking, buddy. Anyways, okay. When his fellow servants saw what had, ha what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him in and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant. That is a really, really poor translation in English. Should not you is, is posed a question. It is actually, the way it's said is it is a direct, you should have. You should have forgiven what this person. In fact, it's expected of you to forgive what they owed. I forgave all that debt you pleaded with me, and you should have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a hard last verse, isn't it? What's happening here is, is, it, is this scene set up where... I'm pretty sure we can figure out what this parable is lining out. Jesus actually gives us the answer to the parable at the end. He doesn't usually do that, right? He says a parable and then just kind of move on and let you figure it out. But he says, this is it. You are to forgive your brothers, your sisters. You, you, Bren, you, you have to forgive your brothers and your sisters. In fact, think about it. How much I've forgiven you, Bren. And this is the situation. This, this servant had no way to pay back what he owed to this king. We have no way to pay back to Christ what he's done for us. You can try your whole life. You will never, ever come close to paying back what he did for you individually and what he continues to forgive in you daily. His grace and forgiveness for you is ridiculous. It's radical. It makes no sense. How dare we not forgive someone when they offended us, when we've been forgiven so much. That's the, that's the point of this right here. Jesus is saying, look, this guy was owed so much. So Peter's saying, well, how often do I have to forgive? He's like, well, uh, I mean, do you want me to apply that to God for you? That's not going to end well for you. You, you, want me, you want me to put a number, uh, like that arbitrary number, 410 times or, or 78 times, however you translate. You want me to just put that number on God and see if it works out for you? You'd make it to maybe five, four years old. <laughs> You're out. Right? He's, he's saying, look, look at how much I've forgiven of you. How dare you not forgive someone else? I want to be really clear. Something that the scholars disagree on the end here, that, that the guy was put in the jail. The word jailer, some of your texts may say torturers. That, that, that translates essentially of stress or hardship or immense pressure. Okay, that's the way that's translating. That's, that's key because I think what's happening here isn't this guy, the fir first servant that was forgiven the 10,000, he's not going to jail because he didn't pay back that 10,000 talents. No, he's going to jail because he wasn't forgiving of his brother. That's what this text is saying. It's not, it's not like, oh, just kidding, I don't forgive you anymore. Go to jail and pay it back. No. 
He was forgiven of that. And that's the way God works with you. You got to understand that. He's already forgiven you. He's forgiven you of it. So when you offend him again, it's not like he's going to go, well, you know, it's the third time this week, Bren. It's starting to add up. I'm getting a little tired of this. You know, he's not going to do that. He's, he, this guy went to jail to pay his debt, to be hard-pressed, under pressure, stressed because of his sinfulness. We see in the New Testament, we see um, a number of people in Corinth, Corinth sick and ill and some dying because of their unwillingness to live with to live in repentance of their sin. So God is pressing those of his children, saying, this is not what you were made for. And this, this servant was going to be pressed until he paid the debt of realizing that he needs to forgive his brother, just as God has forgiven him. And so we see in this text, in these two groups, one is, it's our job to go to someone if they're in sin and to help them see the light. Secondly, when you've been wronged, it's your job to forgive. It's your job to forgive. Now, we stink at this, right? I, I mean, really, 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 truly forgive. He says from the heart, like this, this forgiveness that is instilled in you that like, you can move past that. Not forget. We're not talking about that. Jesus, God does not forget. He chooses not to look on. That's the way that's, that's, that's said. It, it, it's, it's a choice in that. It's, it's us willing to say, I'm willing to say, okay, you've wronged me. I will take on your debt. I forgive you. I take on that debt. Now, I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness real quickly, and then we'll close up. Um, practically, forgiveness is, is a process, and I want to talk about that in, in general. Most of us need um, forgiveness from God. All of us need forgiveness from God over and over again, and most of us need forgiveness from others all the time, and most of us have to forgive others all the time. There's a, there's a, there's a thing. Now, I've asked my daughter sometimes, she's, you know, why'd you hit your sister? Because well, she took my toy, right? It's like, okay, we well, need to make right. I'm sorry, please forgive me. You know, like, that's that, there's not really, I don't, I mean, I'm glad she did the words, but I don't know if that was necessarily like the heart was in it, right? Because then four minutes later, she's hitting her again. It's like, we were just here, come on. So it's, it's a heart change. It's, it's a Psalm 139, search my heart. God, know my heart. Show me any way that is impure inside of me, right? And then first, um, and then Corinthians talks about, 2 Corinthians talks about a godly grief that produces righteousness and a worldly grief that brings, leads to death. And so for forgiveness to happen and, and for that to be in place, there's got to be that godly grief in place where it's I am grieved by what I did in my sinfulness to you, God, and to others. And therefore I desire to be whole again. I desire to move in this. And so there's a good chance that someone may come to you and say, hey, forgive me, I totally did that and I don't care. But they'll probably mask it better than that. And that's where you got to ask for God's discernment. But forgiveness is, is, is a process. Um, Paul in Acts 24 says, I took pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. It's hard work. It's when there's a true offense. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Man, I hate that he does that. <laughs> right? It's like, wait, how, how does that work out here? I also want to be clear. I think that we are all to genuinely seek out repentance. It takes a right understanding of ourselves, seeing ourselves as who we are. We can't, we can't come into a situation as high and mighty and super holy. Right? Because if you are, uh, if you feel like you are in place, that you're better, then 
you're never ever going to truly repent. It's not minimizing or blaming or downplaying. Can I just like I, this is a, a pet doctor in mind. I don't. Even, it's not even the Bible, but I, I hate this. I'm sorry I hurt you. You're saying you're sorry for my feelings. Don't do that. You can't own my feelings. I'm sorry I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? I did. Don't, don't apologize for what someone else is doing or feeling. Apologize for what you've done and you owned. And then I, I, I believe it this way. I think that God took our sin very seriously and he crucified Jesus on a cross to pay for it once and all. So therefore, if we believe that Jesus did that for us, then we've got to be adamantly, vehemently ferocious in chasing out the sin in our own life allowing God's gospel to saturate us and to work in us and to, to see us become out, become out more holy. And look, there's consequences to the sin you made and choices you made. Just because consequences are present does not mean grace isn't. Just because you made some mistakes doesn't mean that grace isn't still going to work in your life. And then I, I, I want to say it this way too. I believe that, that a lot of times in certain situations, people have really, really wronged you. I mean really wronged. You've been, you've been painfully, overtly sinned against is still on you to seek forgiveness. And you may not, some of you maybe had a dad that bailed a long time ago or, or you had someone completely just destroy you when you're young. You, they're not even in your life. You still have to forgive them because here's what happens. If you don't, that unforgiveness, it, it's a bitterness inside of you that's just gonna root up some ugliness and it's just gonna, it's gonna affect every aspect of your life. That bitterness is gonna affect the people you love most. That, 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 that unforgiveness is going to well into this nasty anger and it's going to affect your, your loved ones, your kids, your family, your friends. It's going, to, it's going to ostracize you from real community and friendships. We have to be in a spot of forgiveness. Now, I, I do believe forgiveness is a process and sometimes it takes steps along the way. God's forgiveness to us, he, he, he exacts it. You, you repent, you turn from it, your forgiveness, is, it's there, it's present. I believe in individuals, we struggle sometimes to walk in that. So I had a counselor once say that forgiveness does not equal trust, does not equal reconciliation. But to, you have to forgive to trust, you have to trust to reconcile. And so if I've been offended, if I've been wronged, and someone says, please forgive me, I have to forgive them, and then it's on me to start extending that trust to him or her. It's, it's, I have to be the one that steps out and says, this is painful, and realistically, like I was talking with Steve this morning, that trust has less to do with that person and more to do with God. Do I trust him? In that situation? Do I actually trust him to allow me to walk in this spot where I could get hurt again and it's going to be painful if it gets hurt again, if I get hurt again? I've heard friends say it this way, well, I'll, I'll forgive, but I, I just can't do it again. And praise God that God does not say that about you or me. You think, do you think the cross felt good for Jesus? Hey, let's do that again. Another round of that. That was awesome. No, it was painful. It was excruciating. It was horrific. And he willingly laid his life down so that you and I could walk in freedom of forgiveness. So why are we so afraid of that word? Why are we so afraid of just getting down on our knees and saying, God, forgive me for sinning against you? Why are we so afraid of giving that to someone freely? I forgive you. I forgive you. What, what, is, what are we holding back from? You know what we're holding back from? Real, authentic community, the kingdom of heaven is like this. You've been forgiven so much. Forgiveness is not some currency to hold, to exchange or barter. In fact, the only currency is you don't do it, God doesn't do it. It's about as clear as day. 
So what if, just, just dream with me, what if, what if we did what Colossians 3 says? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What if, what if we just put that on for a week? How many relationships in your life would be restored? Or at least working towards now. I, I understand, like, it may take time, and some of you, these relationships may never actually truly ever be reconciled, but it's still a process on you to forgive and to approach and to do it. It's on, it's on you. Don't wait for someone else. And there is, I, I made this comment at the beginning, there is healthy counsel. If you, if you don't know how to begin this conversation, find a very healthy person to ask counsel of. Not gossip with, not slander, not prove an agenda. Just like, help me see this. What do I need to do? And then here's, here's the kicker. You guys ready for this? If you approach that person for wise counsel because you believe they're wise and they say, hey, maybe you should try this, maybe try it. <laughs> I know that seems like, it seems like crazy, right? But maybe try it. I said that because there's so many times that I've seen a number of people in, that, hey, this is what God's word says you should do. Yeah, but. Yeah, I know, but. And, and the enemy would love for you to hold on to this unforgiveness and this bitterness. He would love to isolate you that way. In fact, right now, some of you may be squirming in your seats going, I know I need to do this, but I don't want to. And you're trying to find every reason why you shouldn't. And some of the reasons why you shouldn't is like, well, I'm protecting the person next to me because if I do come out with this, the consequences will be so great. Yes, but the grace will be greater. You understand that the grace will always be more than enough for every circumstance, every situation. Stop hiding in it. The band's going to come up and we're going to worship. We're going to sing. And I, I, I challenge you. I challenge you. I challenge you. I challenge you as, as a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here and you're like, this forgiveness stuff is crazy, just hear this. God's forgiveness for every single thing you've done is ridiculous. You are not out of his reach or out of his grab. In fact, it's not even a stretch for him to grab you and extend that love to you. There's, it's not even, he doesn't even have to break a sweat to love you for what you've done. But if you're in here and you profess to follow Jesus and you know of a brother or sister that is in sin or has sinned against you or you have unforgiveness in your heart, I challenge you right now, before you even stand up to sing, I challenge you to lift, drop your head down. And as I pray, I challenge you to say, God, bring the names to the front of my face. And I challenge you to take that step with them. Take that step. Be free for once and for all. Stop holding on to it. Allow God to do his radical work in your heart and watch what he does as you, as you release that foothold of bitterness or unforgiveness or anger or maybe some of you claim naivety. I'm just, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone hurt me. Well, you're kidding me, right? He, he beat you until you were 16. No, I don't feel that hurt by it. It's like, okay, maybe you should pray about that a little bit. See, that's God restoring you or if that you've just chosen to run from it like we so often do. We pray, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the ability to um, forgive because you've forgiven. It is, it is an insane thing for me to realize how hard it is sometimes to take on the debt of someone just barely wronging me when you so willfully took the wrath of God from my place. God, I, I ask that you would, you would forgive us in our, in our fear of um, coming to you with this. You would forgive us for not calling out the truth, God, forgive your bride for allowing it to just remain in unholiness. God, I pray that there would be a, an amazing uproar of your followers in this room where they 
they, they chase away sin in their life by your spirit in, in a ferocious way where they lovingly and graciously come alongside someone that's struggling in sin and help them walk through that. God, where we continue to push in areas you call us to push and sit where you call us to sit. And so God, I pray for the relationships that are strained as I know in, in my life there's plenty. In the lives of everyone else here, there's probably plenty as well. I pray that you'd right now be bringing those, brand, those, those names and those faces to the forefront of our minds. I pray that you would, you would overwhelm us with their faces and them in our thoughts this entire week. Annoy the snot out of us in this, God. Push on us in a way that you, you're calling us to restore something that needs to be restored. And if it's just us coming to them with asking forgiveness, if it's us coming to them saying this is sin and we love you and we want you to see it clear, if it's just us forgiving a person that's long gone, God, would you give us the strength by your spirit to do what you've called us to do? And may we experience your grace like we've never experienced it in these conversations. May we experience reconciliation like we've never experienced reconciliation. God, would you redeem all that you came to redeem? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.